Back when I was a kid, we ate a lot of pineapple upside down cake. Now that seemed to be really popular decades ago. I don't hear much about it anymore. Do you young folks, have y'all ever heard of pineapple upside down cake? Okay, well, maybe it's still around. But it's really cool because you bake it upside down. You put what's going to be on top on the bottom and you know, then you flip it over and voila, pineapple upside down cake. Well today we're not going to have a pineapple sermon, but we're going to have an upside down sermon. All right. As I looked at this passage that we're going to be dealing with here in a moment, I noticed as I struggled with it along that it really needed to be preached upside down. Normally, I read the passage, stand right over there, and then I talk about it. But with this passage, I felt like God really needs to have the last word here. And so maybe what we need to do today is talk a little bit and then get our hearts ready to hear God's Word. And so that's what I'm going to be doing for just the next few moments. I'm going to tell you two stories, and then I'm going to ask you a question. And the whole intent is to open our hearts up so that whenever God speaks through His Word, that His Word may do the work that He intended for it to do. You ready? Story number one. Ruby Bridges... Now, I don't know if you know that name or not. It may be vaguely familiar to you, or you may know exactly who Ruby Bridges is. But Ruby Bridges was a six-year-old girl living in New Orleans. The year 1960, that the federal courts ordered New Orleans to integrate its schools. Ruby, being a little black girl, was attending an all-black school, a kindergarten at the time. And so it was determined that some of the black students out of the black school would next year attend the all-white schools. They gave a test to the little black kids to, I don't know really what the intent of that was, but they gave a test to see which children would go and be the first to integrate the schools in New Orleans. Six children passed the test. Ruby was one of them. So all summer long, it was a subject of great debate within her family whether Ruby would go to the white school or not. Her dad was totally against it. He said, it's going to be nothing but trouble. It's going to cause problems in the city. We don't need to bring that on our family. And yet the mom said, but she can get so much better education in this other school, and she will be doing it for all the black children that are to follow well, guess who won? Mom won. And it was determined by the courts 
that the schools would not be integrated until mid-November, November the 14th. So when that day came, the family discovered that of the six children that were supposed to go to school together, that two of them had decided not to go. Three of them had been transferred to a smaller school on the outskirts of town. Ruby was to go to William France Elementary in New Orleans all by herself. Federal marshals came to escort her to school, had a whole motorcade, and it quickly became the reason why it quickly became clear as Ruby and her mom rode in the back seat of a federal marshal's car, and all along the route to school, it was lined by angry people, yelling, screaming, shaking their fists at Ruby and her mother. Ruby said she really wasn't that afraid until she saw one person holding a little coffin with a black doll inside of it. Her mother held her hand and said, Ruby, be strong. Ruby, pray. They got to school. The marshals cleared out a path for them to go up the steps and into the school. Riots broke out outside the school. Things were so chaotic that all Ruby did that day was sit in the principal's office. It wasn't until the next day that she went back, she met her teacher, Mrs. Henry. Said she was the sweetest woman that she ever knew. She was just like her mama, only she was white. She met Mrs. Henry. Mrs. Henry said, let's go to your room. She went upstairs to her room, and there it was, her room. She was to go to school for the rest of the year in a classroom, all by herself just with Miss Henry. Now, a lot of people may have decided enough was enough. But this little Ruby Bridges, she said, even though she was so young, she knew what she was doing was important, and she was determined to do it. So day after day, she made her way down the street in the marshal's car, made her way up the steps that were always lined with people with placards and angrily shouting things at her. She went and sat in her room all by herself with Mrs. Henry, and Mrs. Henry taught her. Couldn't even go outside for recess. They just played games inside of her room. One day, as she got out of the car and was making her way up, she glanced up, and there was Mrs. Henry looking down at her. And Mrs. Henry was smiling, and so Ruby made her way on in and got into the room, and Miss Henry asked her a question. She said, Ruby, said, I noticed that as you were coming up the steps that you were talking to the people. I could see your lips moving, but I couldn't figure out what you were saying to them. Let me read Ruby's response to this. She said, the people I passed every morning as I walked up the school steps were full, so full of hate But she looked at Mrs. Henry and said, I wasn't talking to them. I was praying for them. She said, usually I prayed in the car on the way to school, but that day I had forgotten until I was in the crowd. I prayed, please be with me. And I also prayed, be with these people too. And then she included a line that she had learned in Sunday school. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Never met Ruby, 
read several things about her, but she's one of my heroes. She and her family. Her dad lost his job because of what they did. They were barred from the grocery store. They couldn't shop at the grocery store anymore for what they did. Even her grandparents that lived in Mississippi were kicked off the land they had farmed for 25 years because the landowner said he didn't want any troublemakers on his land. Yet Ruby knew what she was doing, and she was willing to make the sacrifices to help those who came after her. Second story. One time a young lady called me in the office in another church that I worked at, and I had never met her before. She didn't go to church with us, but she had some connection with friends that came to church with us, and she wanted to come by and discuss a a problem, and I said, well, sure. So she came by, and she was sitting in my office, and we got to talking. I was trying to get to know her a little bit and just asking questions. Found out she had three children. And I asked her some questions about the kids, and she just started pouring out all this stuff about her kids, and it just seemed like such a good situation. And I just made the comment, wow, you really do love your children, don't you? And immediately, she broke down and started sobbing. I mean, not just tears coming down, but bent over sobbing. I thought, what did I do? You know, I was trying to be encouraging. I was just trying to, you know, find out some things. And I started to apologize to her, and she stopped me. She said, no. She said, it's okay. You see, I grew up in a family with a divorce. Dad left mom when I was quite young. He remarried, moved off to another community. And he would call me a lot. And he would tell me how much he loved me and how much he missed me. And he would tell me that he was going to come see me. And he would make these promises about what he was going to bring me and what we were going to go and do when he came and visited. But he rarely came. Birthdays came and went. Graduations came and went. I got the phone calls. And he told me how much he loved me. But he said, you see, even when I was young, I realized that he said he loved me, but what he did said he didn't love me. She said, at that moment, I made the pledge to myself, a vow, that I would always show my family how much I love them. We learn at an early age that love is more what we do than what we say. Words are cheap. And in all kinds of terrible situations, words of love are often spoken. Brian deals with abusive situations. I have too. Oftentimes the abusive spouse says very loving things just to manipulate just to inflict the pain they want to inflict. Controlling parents can say words of love to their children, but it's all for their own interest, their own benefit. Boyfriends and girlfriends often say words of love in order to get what they want. 
And even those of us who are friends with each other can sometimes just say things that are flattering just simply so that things will work out the way we want them to. But love is seen more in what we do than what we say. We know that. Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 21. This is not the text we're going to talk about, by the way. But he told a parable about a man who had two sons, and he told the boys to go out and work in the field. One of them said, no, I'm not going. The other one said, okay. The one that said, okay, never went. The one that said, no, had second thoughts and went and worked. And Jesus asked the question, which one did the will of the Father? We might ask the question, which one loved the Father? The one who said he would or the one who did? We know that we must show love. We can't just talk about love. Question. These things will tie together, I promise. How do you feel about your relationship with God right now? What's going on between you and God? Let me ask it a different way. If I could ask God, what do you think about fill in your name? What would he say about you? What do you think God's opinion of you is? Now, this is one of the most important questions you can ever ask yourself. Because what we say to ourselves becomes our reality. That's what we live out of. We are always telling ourselves things. And what we tell ourselves, it can be sometimes things that are true, but sometimes they're not true. And yet we act as if they're true. Sports psychologists make their living off this principle. You know, they work with athletes because athletes have to tell themselves they're confident and they can do these things. A wide receiver drops a pass. What does he tell himself? Does he say, whoops, that was just an accident. I'm good. I can catch the next one. Or does he say, what if I drop the next one? What's going to happen? What's going to happen if I... Well, what do you think about it? If you just think about it, I'm going to miss it, I'm going to miss it, I'm going to miss it. Well, you miss it. A golfer lines up a putt, misses the putt. Does he begin then saying or she saying, I don't know if I can do this or not. I'm not, I don't know. You've got to tell yourself what is right. We tell ourselves all kinds of things. I've known egomaniacs that constantly tell themselves that they're the best thing that ever lived. You ever met some folks like that? You know, that, that no matter what they do and how they act, they just are so full of themselves. Well, they're constantly telling themselves how good they are. I've met a few of those. More of us struggle with the other side of that. Constantly telling ourselves we're not good enough. Especially when it comes to our relationship with God. What does God think of you? Is he disappointed? Is he someone that looks at you and says, wow, what a mess. This person will never get his or her life together. What does God think of you? Another passage. This isn't the passage we're going to talk about. Psalm 103 has a few lines in it there that have always meant so much to me. Let me read those to you. Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear or reverence, or yes, you can even translate that, love him. Isn't it interesting that when God talks about his relationship with us, he chooses the best possible relationship in its most perfect form, a good, healthy family, 
where parents love their children. And God says, if you want to know what I think of you, I think of you like a kind, compassionate father thinks of his children. That's what I think of you. Right? He goes on to say, for he knows how we were made, and he remembers that we are dust. He knows that we are not always going to live up to our own expectations, much less his. I threw in in first service, and I think I'll try it again. I remember talking to a young father one time. Well, father had a teenage boy, and he discovered his teenage boy was into some things that, you know, he shouldn't be, and they weren't healthy things. It wasn't good. And the father came and was just so distraught. I'm just so disappointed in my son. I can't believe it. You know, we have taught him. We've done this. I am just so disappointed in him. Well, I listened to that for a while, and I turned around and said, okay, here's what your son has done. Did you ever do that? <laughs> yeah. He said, can't you understand? You've made it. You understand. And can't you understand that your son is facing the same things that you did as well? A good father has compassion on his children. And, fa- and God is a good father to us. What does he think of you? Let me throw out a heretical thought that preachers don't usually say. What if God expects, what if God expects Less of you than you expect of yourself. Isn't that an amazing thought? What if God realizes so deeply that you can't live up to your own expectations, much less perfection? What does God think of you? The same thing a loving father thinks of his children. Yes, it hurts when he sees us fail. But God is never one that will come to you and say, you're worthless, and I'm so disappointed in you. You ready for the passage? You don't have to look it up. I'm going to pull it up here. It's 1 John 3, 16 through 24. Some of you may have already picked up on that because I've thrown in some of the language from that passage already. But before we read this, uh, I want to pray over it. Because truly, God's Word is powerful. It's living, it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God's Word goes into our hearts and through the power of His Spirit works on us. And I pray that as we read this passage, if not all of it, at least a portion of it, will minister to you. Let's pray. Father, bless us now as we open our hearts to hear Your Word. May we truly allow your spirit that lives in us, to work in us through these words that you have given us. We know that at times your word rebukes us, it corrects us. We know at other times it encourages us. Let us have our hearts tender and open so that your word can do what it needs to do this morning in each of our lives. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. This is how we learn to love. Since one laid down his life for us, we are under obligation to lay down our lives for our brothers 
and sisters. If we have plenty to live on, and we see brothers or sisters in need, but we close our hearts to them, how can we say that this kind of love, God's love, lives in us? Little children, let us not love only in word or talk, but let us love in action and truth. This is the way we will know that we belong to the truth when people can see our love. And then, when our hearts condemn us before God, when that self-talk starts about that God doesn't really like me, we will be able to reassure our hearts because God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Loved ones, when your hearts are not condemning us, we feel such freedom in the presence of God. Don't you just love to be around people that you know love you? And isn't it a joy to be in the presence of a God who loves you? And the giving and receiving flow freely between us and God because we are keeping His commandments and doing what pleases Him. And what are these commandments? What is it that He wants from us? Well, let's look. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love each other. This is what He commanded us. And those who keep His commandment live in God, and God lives in them. We know He lives in us because He has given us His Spirit. May God bless the reading of His Word. Let's stand and sing. My hands are wonderful things that I must love and serve me Thank you, DK. That's very meaningful. Welcome to all of you. Um, been a great day and it's not over. 